Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 we are now getting into the good news of the book of romans i told you a couple weeks ago that we don't stay in the bad news forever when somebody ever asks me whenever they say these words uh, I've got good news and bad news. What do you want first? I always tell them I want the bad news first because it's the good news that picks me up off the floor. I think that's where we're at in Romans as we have just encountered a long, long, long section on condemnation. He began in chapter 1 and verse 18. And as he's moving through, he first condemns the pagan, the unbeliever, the one who would deny God and say God doesn't even exist. After condemning him, he gets into now chapter 2 where he's condemning the religionist, the one who has his confidence in his faith in religion, or the moral person, the one who says, I'm not that bad, I'm really a good person. And so then God throws condemnation on that person because they cannot be made right with God on their own works. And then towards the end of that chapter, we begin to see how he says you can't even depend on your religious ceremonies. Beginning in chapter 3, he begins to indict everybody and comes up with the truth that there is none righteous, none righteous. And so we've had this long section on condemnation. Now, just so that you have a little bit of a roadmap through the book of Romans, it begins with condemnation after the introduction in that verse 18 of chapter 1. And then it switches to justification, which we're getting into today. And then it moves in chapter 6 through 8 on sanctification. And then 9, 10, and 11 his uh, dealings with Israel, and then 12, we get into application. So that's kind of an outline on the entire book of Romans, but now we begin the good news after all that bad news. You know, the few times that I've ever gone camping, my idea of camping, by the way, is just, man, let's just get a hotel suite somewhere and be away for the weekend. I am just not the outdoor type person. Even though I like to hunt and like to fish, I hate camping. I like the, the modern amenities that we have access to in a home. But the few times I've been out there camping in the desert, the one thing I love is just looking at the sky at night. And at night, you can see all the stars. I mean, they're just shining. They're glittering. They're glowing. You see them like out there that you don't see in the city. We, we see in the city with the street lights, with the house lights, there's light around and the stars just don't sparkle that bright. But then out in the desert where it's dark, we see how bright the stars can become. And that's really what this setting of justification is in. We've got the dark 
moment of condemnation, but now he's turning to justification, and he begins with these words, but whenever you see the word but in the Bible, it usually marks a dramatic turnaround, an about-face, a different direction. The Apostle Paul uses the words but now 14 times in his epistles, and it is generally moving in a different direction. After he's going one way, he now begins to switch his line of thought, and it usually is pointing towards the good news. And so we see that as we begin to read. I want you to read with me if you've got your Bibles open to Romans chapter 3. If you've got your phone open to Romans chapter 3, I just want you to follow with me on these first few verses as we jump into the text. Verse 21 says, But now, there it is, but now, after this long section of condemnation, we now are doing an about face and moving into a direction that is nothing but good news. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over the former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just in the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now don't get concerned. We are going to unpack this a little bit, but you need to know right off the bat that the most scholars would say that this is the central text in the book of Romans. That this text right here, everything rises and falls on. And many scholars will even say this is the central text in the entire Bible itself. Martin Luther, who is the father of the Reformation, said verses 21 to 26 is the chief point and the very central place of the epistle and of the whole Bible. Leon Morris, who is a well-known Bible commentary, has written commentaries on several books in the New Testament. He said that these verses are possibly the most important single paragraph ever written. And the central point of the passage is that a sinner is justified by faith and not works. I often get the questions asked to me, hey, what's the difference between Christ Community Church or Protestant faith and the Catholic faith? I mean, they say the same things. They believe in the Trinity. The Godhead is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross. He rose on the third day. We all believe in the Lord's Supper. We believe in baptism. What is the difference between like Christ Communion Church and what the Catholic faith would teach? Well, this passage answers that question for us. It answers the most fundamental questions of the difference of the Protestants and the Catholics. This passage also answers the most important question that anyone could ever ask in their lifetime, and that is, how is a person made right with God? How is a person made right with God? And this passage answers that question because it's dealing with justification, which means that we have a right standing with God. Justification is a legal term. It means that we can be declared innocent. And this passage tells us how that takes 
place. Jesus Christ made an exclusive statement, if you will. He said in John 14, 6, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, this passage unfolds what he said. Why is Jesus the only way? Why do you have to be dogmatic about Jesus being the only way? Why do you have to force Christ on other people? Why do you stand? Well, first of all, we don't force Christ on other people. We are dogmatic about Jesus being the only way because he said it and no one can go to the Father except through him, but also because justification comes by faith alone and where you place that faith is very important. So what I want you to see as we jump into this passage of Scripture this morning, I need you to see, first of all, that our righteousness does not come through religion. That's what Paul's going to bring up here. He's going to bring up that there's no religious things that a person can do to be justified before God. That a person, when they stand before God, there is absolutely nothing they can say that they have done to declare salvation. Because then that is your work and it's not the work of God through Christ. And that's what Paul's trying to drive home now after getting across that everyone is condemned. It doesn't matter who you are. You're the unbeliever that denies God. You deny the truth. You suppress the truth. Or that you're the religious person. The one who, who would go to church every week. The one who would maybe sing songs and even know the hymns by heart. That we can't lean on that. The one who would say, you know, I know I'm going to heaven because I was baptized. Well, that's not true. That's not what the Bible teaches. And we need to come to that understanding this morning. So in verse 20, before verse 21 comes, remember we began reading in verse 21, but look at verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. All right? So we see that no one can be justified by the law. Now when you see that word in the book of Romans, the law, it's usually speaking of the Mosaic law. It's speaking of the ceremonies that they went through. It's speaking of the rituals that they would in, be involved in. Leviticus is a good book that speaks about the sacrificial system. It speaks of all of these things that the Jews were entrenched in. That the rituals, the ceremonies, the commandments, there are 613 commandments in the Old Testament that they have delineated and they say that they're supposed to obey those 613 commandments. And so they've prided themselves in their religious status. Yeah, God chose the Jewish people. Yeah, God had, had called them out through Abraham. He starts a whole nation with them and then He delivers His law to them. They are a privileged people. He delivers the Word of God to them. The whole Old Testament we can be thankful to the Jews for and most of the New Testament as well. That, that they took care of that Old Testament meticulously. The oracles of God were delivered to them. And scribes would meticulously dot their I's and cross their T's. And so they held this privileged position with God and they were involved in religious things. But they stood on those things for their justification. Instead of thinking, wait a minute, you know, yeah, the law in the Old Testament... The sacrificial system was put in place because we still fall short. And because the Jews were looking down on the Gentiles, those without the law, those who were non-religious, saying, you know, we are the privileged ones. And there was a pride to that. 
And Paul is going to knock them off their pedestal right now and say, wait a minute. When it comes to being right with God, it doesn't matter who you are. You can be a Jew. You can be a Gentile. I don't care how much of the Word of God you have memorized. It doesn't matter. And so... For us today, we need to see what this is saying because even though the Jews had a different religious system, there is religion involved in Christianity. Religion simply means it comes from the Latin word uh, ligio. Ligament is where we get our word from, ligament. It's reconnecting with God. So there's certain things that we do as people of Christianity that bring us into a deeper connection with God, like singing songs. When we sang this morning, you were singing in your living room. And what beautiful songs. I thank God for the worship team because every time I come on a Sunday morning, I get to listen and I enter in and my heart is moved by the worship songs. I get to read the Bible. You get to read the Bible. We do devotionals. We study God's Word. We want to be students of God's Word like the Bereans in the New Testament. We want to be faithful in that. But we can't miss what the Scriptures are pointing us to because it's about a person. It isn't about doctrine, although it has doctrine, and the doctrine has everything to do with our relationship with God. But if we miss the person of the Bible, we become nothing more than religion. That we can show up, the worship team's here, and we're listening to God's Word and everything else, but it becomes nothing but routine. And what tells you this, listen to me, friends, what tells you this is when you go out there into the world. That's what tells you whether you have a religion or you have a relationship. That's the whole separation. It's kind of like in jail. You know, how many banks can a bank robber rob when he's imprisoned? It's when he gets out of prison that tells that he's a bank robber. When we're in church, when we're in four walls, when we're involved in religious things, Yeah, that's good and that's right. But if that's what our faith rests on, those religious things, we're just like who Paul is talking to. And so we know that human effort can't justify a person before God. He's going to make that clear. He's going to unfold that, that none of our religious efforts, none of our religious duties could ever bring us into a right standing with God. It could never put us in that position where God declares us not guilty. And so he's going to reveal in verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. And says, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, do we throw out the law just because we have faith in God that that our justification rests on our belief and our trust in Jesus? No. In fact, in verse 20 that we just read earlier, that it reveals sin in our heart, that there's a real purpose for the law, that it reveals sin in our heart. Every time I open up the Scriptures and start reading God's Word, there's things in my life that I have a blind spot to, and all of a sudden the Lord says, wait a minute. And God's Word dismantles those blind spots, and it reveals in my own heart the dark crevices, the deepest corners of my heart, the Word of God penetrates. And it reveals that sin in my life. And at the end of this chapter, in verse 31, he says, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So being saved by grace through faith has nothing to do with tossing out God's Word and living any way you want. 
No, we uphold the law. But we realize that our salvation does not come by our sticking to that. You know, some people are involved in legalism. I used to hear this term used sometimes. I don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls that do. It highlights this dependence on morality sometimes, right? And so oftentimes that we take this approach to God that the more moral I am, the more accepted I am with God. That's not true. That's not true. Religion builds off the wrong foundation of I obey, therefore I am accepted, rather than I am accepted, therefore I obey. And so religion demeans it to me working and trying to get justified before God when I can't do it on my own. Every religion has a code of ethics. It doesn't matter what you study. Sikhism, Buddhism, Confucianism, Hinduism, Islam, they all have, have a code. They all have a book of ethics that they're to live by. And where Christianity separates from every other religion is that you can't do enough good things to get right before a holy God. Now, I may sound like bad news, but actually it's good news. When you stack up your life against what God says we should be living by. And so the problem with all of that, that false foundation, there's several problems with that idea of, you know, I obey, therefore I am accepted. Number one, the heart is never changed through what laws you're supposed to live by. There's no inward transformation that as you continue to try and live up to the standard, your heart is still the same. It's kind of like the recidivism rate in prisoners. When they get released, they oftentimes get rearrested and they go right back to prison for doing the same things that they were doing before. So because the prison never had an inward transformation in their heart. And so the false premise of religion and saying that I obey and therefore I am accepted, the heart has never changed. The heart has never changed. The transformation has never taken place inwardly. Number two, trying to do good works to be accepted by God is self-centered. It is not God-centered. You know, it doesn't come from the heart. It is saying, you know, I obey God because of what He can do for me. I obey God for what He can do for me. That the good things that, that I do, God owes me. He owes me something. And that's just not true. You know, we get into this mindset that, you know, I'm just going to obey God and I'm going to live by God's law. Not because of who He is, but for what He can give me. And so therefore, we fall into this trap of, of being consumed with the blessings rather than being consumed with the blesser, the one who actually triggers these blessings. I look at my relationship with God as not a slot machine or, or you know, I'm trying to do better because I want more favor from Him. No, my obedience to God arises out of the transformation in my heart, out of the love I have for God. My wife wouldn't like me very much if I did things at the house and told her that, you know, hey, you know, I cooked you this beautiful meal. And she said, you know, thank you for cooking that beautiful meal. And I said, I just read this book on how to have a good marriage, so that's why I did it. No, I want her to know that whatever I do for her, it's out of a love for her. And so, thirdly, the law especially as it's used here, only proclaims us guilty, but nothing to do to remove the guilt of our lives. 
That the law can reveal sin in our life, but it cannot take away the guilt of that sin. It can never remove the guilt. And that's clear all the way through the New Testament. That sticking by the Word of God, that does not do anything to cleanse us, to wash us. That's why in 1 John chapter 1 it says, you know, to confess your sins to Him, and He is faithful and just to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That He's the one who does the cleansing, not because of our good works. That would kind of like me driving down the street. You know, I'm going 50 miles an hour, you know, in a 30, and I get pulled over for speeding. And by the way, if that's if you know me, that's not unlikely. I've been pulled over before for speeding. If you really want to improve your prayer life, just go for a ride with me. I guarantee you'll come back as an intercessor, a strong intercessor, because your prayer life will increase driving with me. Everybody used to make fun of the way I drive. So anyway, but if I got pulled over going 50 miles an hour in a 30 mile an hour zone and the cop says, hey, look, Man, you broke the law. You're going 20 miles over the speed limit. I can't say to him, you should have been with me yesterday. Because yesterday I was going five miles under the speed limit driving on this street. And so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And I could even tell him, you know, I haven't had a speeding ticket in years. That does nothing to do in removing the guilt of the infraction that I just committed. And in the same way, the law will never, ever remove the guilt. It will show that you're guilty, but it will never, ever remove the guilt in your life. And does your life today say, I obey to be accepted, or I obey because I have been accepted? I have been justified. My heart has been transformed. God's righteousness is now manifested in salvation through Christ. When we see this passage of Scripture, we need to note that there are two sides of God's righteousness. There's a righteousness side of God that demands judgment. That if God did not judge sin, He would be unrighteous. No different than an unrighteous judge who's on the take, who's bribed and doesn't prosecute because he's been paid off. That side of God, that righteousness, He definitely has to judge sin. But there's the other side of God's righteousness that says this, that I make sinners righteous with me by imputing my righteousness on them. That those unrighteous people who come to me in faith, I impute my righteousness upon them. It is another way of saying that God clothes us in His righteousness. That in Joshua, right in Zechariah chapter 3, the high priest who's guilty, Satan is accusing him, and God clothes him in righteous clothing. And that's what God does for us. That's the other righteous side of God in Him saving sinners. The righteousness of God is now manifested in His saving action in Jesus Christ through which our sin can be atoned for so that our broken relationship with God can now be restored. And that's why he says the righteousness of God is now manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, it doesn't contradict the law and the prophets. It complements the law and the prophets. But our righteousness now comes from God himself. God's righteousness comes to us through faith. Many writers have described faith as the hand of the heart that faith is reaching out and receiving what God has blessed us with. 
Faith receives what God has given to us. That's what faith is. Faith in itself is not the thing that makes us righteous before a holy God. It's God who makes us righteous and He presents that as a gift to us. But our hands of the heart reach out and say, I receive that gift. I receive that gift. So our faith has to be in the person of Jesus Christ as verses 22 and 23 make clear because you need to understand that the object of your faith is as important as the faith itself. Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977